Please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word from Zephaniah chapter 1. Hear now the reading of the word of Almighty God, inspired by His Spirit and profitable for us. The word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the names of the Chemerims with the priests and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops and them that worship and swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm and them that are turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate and an howling from the second and a great crashing from the hills. Howl, ye inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down. All they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near, and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your most holy word. We ask that you would illuminate our minds, that you would anoint my tongue, that I may speak forth the truth of the word of God faithfully, and that you would anoint all ears, that we may hear the word of God with faith, hope, and love, that we may lay it up in our hearts, that we may practice it in our lives. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We begin this afternoon our study in the book of Zephaniah. We'll look at chapters 1 and 2 on a high-level basis, and then chapter 3 we'll go into more detail concerning this book, looking verse by verse and passage by passage in a little more extensive detail. Matthew Henry says, This prophet is placed last, as he was last in time, of all the minor prophets before the captivity. And not long before Jeremiah, who lived at the time of the captivity itself, he foretells the general destruction of Judah and Jerusalem by the Chaldeans 
and sets their sins in order before them, which had provoked God to bring their ruin upon them. He calls them to repentance, threatens the neighboring nations with the like destructions, and gives encouraging promises of their joyful return out of captivity in due time, which have a reference to the grace of the gospel. And that's pretty much the outline. Chapter 1 gives us the threat of judgment and destruction with the sins that led to it. Chapter 2 is a call to repentance and a threatening of the neighbor nations. And then the consolation comes in chapter 3. So this week, chapter 1, Lord willing. Next week, chapter 2. And then for four or so weeks after that, chapter 3. Okay, now this week, let's look at chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It's a title of the book in verse 1. We have a brief genealogy of the prophet, rather unusual. And then we have the timing of the delivery of this message. Notice verse 1, the word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah. This is God's teaching, God's doctrine, God's word. Not Zephaniah's words, in other words. Not the false prophet's teaching, but God's directly. Now, Zephaniah means one who is hidden by God or made secret by God. Or it could mean God's secretary, the one that God reveals his secrets to so that the secrets then can be told publicly. It says he is the son of Hezekiah, perhaps his great-grandfather. This is the same word in Hebrew as Hezekiah from 2 Kings 18 through chapter 20 of 2 Kings. This is the same Hebrew word also in 2 Chronicles 29 through 32. So it is possible that he is the great-grandson of King Hezekiah. We don't know that for sure, but it might explain the allusion to the royal family that he makes in chapter 1 here. In any case, the timing of this in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Please open to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 13. We'll look at verses 1 and 2, page 395 of your pew Bibles. 395. Concerning these days of Josiah, this righteous king, he is prophesied of here in chapter 13. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. Remember Bethel? That's where the idols were set up by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that and one other place. Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he, that is the man of God, he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. Wow, what a prophecy. One of David's sons will come. And he'll dig up the bones of these false priests. He'll cast down these altars. And he'll burn the bones of those priests on the altar. What a man, Josiah. He's crowned in 2 Kings chapter 21, this King Josiah. Turn over to page 440 of your pew Bibles. Now he's crowned at a time of revolt. His father has been assassinated. Amon, who's mentioned in Zephaniah 1.1, has been assassinated and then Josiah is made king, verse 23. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and slew the king in his own house. And the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his stead. There we have a time of trouble, a time of revolt, a time of rebuke. There had been prophecies that the Babylonians would come and take them captive. And so the wickedness of Judah had gotten worse and worse, and Ammon was one of the worst kings. He's slain by his servants, the people slay the servants, and then the people make Josiah, his son, king in his stead. Now look at chapter 23. We'll look at verses 1 through 3. There's an initial reformation in chapter 22 by Josiah, where he repairs the house of God. During that repair process, the scriptures are recovered. The scriptures then lead to a time of repentance and renewal by King Josiah himself. He inquires of the prophetess, what is to become of us? Because I see all these curses in Deuteronomy. Are we going to experience those curses? 
chapter 23, verse 1. They swear to God. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. Listen, and all the people stood to the covenant. That is, they said amen to it. They gave their assent to it. They swore to God. We have the fulfilling of the threat against Bethel in chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. But chapter 23 gives us the basic reformation under Josiah, the good things that he did, the praise of this glorious king who sought not only to enforce the rights of man in the second table, but also the rights of God in the first table, as a good magistrate ought to do. Let us turn back then to Zephaniah. Zephaniah again, chapter 1. Page 942 of your Pew Bibles. Verse 2 begins the threat of utter destruction. He says, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. Here is the threat that God makes. God will consume not merely the wicked sinner, but also the beasts of the earth. There will be a curse that flows down from the inhabitants to the creatures that have no knowledge of right or of wrong. Just as Adam brought bondage on the creature, so the sinning people of Judah brought destruction against animals, against fishes, and against fowl. Notice, though, God says that he would take away the stumbling blocks with the wicked. Your captivity, he says, is also going to be the captivity of your stumbling blocks. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7, page 209 of your pew Bibles. 209, Deuteronomy 7. We'll look at verses 25 and 26. Deuteronomy 7, 25. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is in them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be cursed, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. Notice the word snare there. It's the same root word as we looked at the stumbling block back in Zephaniah. The idols are a thing that causes you to trip up. Remember, Paul said he didn't want to provide those sorts of stumbling blocks, those occasions for the ministry to be blamed and people to stumble over his life. So here, what do idols do? What do graven images do? Do they have an existence of their own? No, they're just things. Gold, silver, wood, stone, whatever. They're nothing. And yet, they are an occasion to stumble people. They are stumbling blocks. They cause people to be snared in false notions about God, that he is a creature like us, and therefore we offer worship to creatures. Note then that idolatry will be destroyed. God will take it away. Now he had commanded them to take it away. But if they didn't do their job, God would do his. God would ensure that the idols would not be tolerated. 
He would take away the wicked. He would take away their stumbling blocks. Let us then oppose. Let us detest. Let us abolish false idols, false worship, as much as is in our power to do. Do not wink at it. Do not seek to promote it, but despise it. For God, he says, is a jealous God, especially concerning his worship. Please turn back to Zephaniah, page 942. We'll look at verse 4. The Lord continues in his consumption and destruction of the wicked. I will stretch, I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of the Chemerims with the priests. God here threatens Judah and Jerusalem. Baal has remnants. That's like the remnant of Israel. It's the same word. When, when Isaiah named his son Shear Jashub, Shear is the remnant. Those left over who God actually chose, who haven't bowed the knee to Baal, that's the remnant. Baal had leftovers. That means someone came along and swept away the bulk of Baal's images. Who is that? That was Josiah. He came along and destroyed the images. He took them out of the house of God. But guess what? They weren't all gone. The images were not entirely destroyed. Some people decided that they would leave some of those things and keep them in their house, perhaps, in their hearts, maybe, in their clothing, perhaps, in their haircuts. Did you know they would make markings and have special haircuts for their false gods? There were remnants of Baal left behind. The reformation of Josiah was good, but it was not enough. It was not complete. It was not entire. There were remnants of Baal. Guess who else was there? The names of the Chemarims, Chemarim, those who were blackened or those who were on fire is the idea. Perhaps they wore some kind of black garments Perhaps their skin was turned black from the incense that they would burn on the coals. We do, we do not know for sure. 2 Kings 23.5 tells us that Josiah removed these chemarim. It's translated there as idolatrous priests. Here in Zephaniah, he distinguishes the priesthood of Baal from the chemarim. Some people think they were like monks. You had the priests, then you had the monks of Baal imitated by the Romanists, for example, and the Eastern Orthodox. The two orders of their priesthood, you might say. All of them, God says, I will destroy, I will devour, I will consume, I will remove, because if you leave the workers of Baal in place, the work of Baal will be carried on, so you must destroy them, he must take them away. Josiah did not complete the job, in other words. Verses 5 and 6, Judah is then charged with hypocritical idolatry, thereby provoking God's wrath. Verse 5, And them, these are the people God's taking away, and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, and them that worship and swear by the Lord, and that swear by Malcolm. Notice here, them that worship and that swear on the housetops, there they are. They're bowing the knee. That's what that means to worship, the Hebrew word. In the Septuagint, it's the word proskuneo, to behave yourself as a dog towards someone. Dogs, what do they do? They bow down, they kiss the hand, they roll over for you, right? They're subservient to you. That's what dogs do. Worship is a subservience, and the same word is used concerning the Lord as is used concerning the host of heaven. It's the same verb, to offer some gesture of religion toward someone or something. Notice these heathens, these half-heathens. They think that if they go up to their housetops, they'll be closer to the stars, right? The hosts of heaven. Those saints and angels, those demons up there in the clouds, and the heathens had names for each one, didn't they? Oh, there's Mars, there's Jupiter. They would say, if I get up higher on the rooftop, they'll hear me better. Superstition makes people ridiculous. 
So they went up to worship the host of heaven to offer a religious gesture of bowing before these saints and angels, these gods and the hosts of the angels in heaven. But notice also in verse 5, it says these same people worship and swear by the Lord, right? Well, I've got the saints and the angels that I worship, but I also have the Lord that I worship. In fact, the word here by literally means to. They swore to God. I swear to God, people will say. I've made a promise to God. I've said something before him and I call him as my witness because he sees my heart and he'll judge all my future actions. That's why Jesus says you can't swear by creatures. You can't swear by the altar and say, well, I didn't really mean it because I was just swearing by the altar. No, if you call the altar to witness your sin, you're actually calling God to witness your sin because there is no other God. You can't swear by Malcolm. He's not a real thing. He's a demon. You can't swear by him. He doesn't know your heart. And yet that's what they did. They swore to God. They entered into the covenant with Josiah to be the people of the Lord, to do all that he had commanded, but they swear by Malcolm too. This is the God of the children of Ammon. They blend the true religion with worship offered to saints, to angels, to demigods, and to the heathens' gods. Creatures. That's who they swear by. That's who they worship, as well as the true God. Sure, yeah, we'll give God his due. But we also acknowledge the divinity of Malcolm and the saints and the angels above. We acknowledge their divinity. We can swear by St. Joseph. We can swear by St. Peter. We can swear by the temple. We can swear by the altar. No, God says, by whom should you swear? By God only. He says, my name alone you shall swear with, because swearing is an act of worship. And therefore, when you call on someone to know your thoughts and to punish you if you violate the oath in the future, that thing is your God, whatever you're swearing by. Because you think that thing knows your heart. You think that thing will judge you in the future. And that, therefore, is your God. And so they swore to, the, to God, the true God, and they also swore by this false God. Who else is going to be consumed off the land? Verse 6. Them that turn their back from the Lord, and those that have not sought the Lord, nor inquired for him. What is it to turn your back from the Lord? What is it to turn your face to the Lord? It's to listen to him attentively. Yes, Lord, please show me your way. When you turn your back, you say, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I am going to violate your ways and I'm going to walk the opposite direction, not in the way you command me to go, but in the way I want to go. Apostates turning their back, repenting of what they should never repent of, deluded in their own selves, thinking they can go in their own way. But who else? Those who have not sought the Lord, nor inquired for him. But this... This seems not as bad, doesn't it? You're not turning your back on God. You just, I don't have time for that. I, mean, I don't have interest. It's not really that important after all. Should I really get that worked up about worshiping God? Well, Josiah was, wasn't he? What about the people? Were they excited? Eh, well, get rid of Baal. Okay, okay. King says to get rid of Baal, let's get rid of him. All right? But you're asking me to seek the Lord? Well, I... I just don't have interest. I got a football game I got to watch. I got to mow my lawn. I got to do this. I got to do that. Whatever it is, I have some excuse. I'm not going to seek the Lord. Let's, Let's not get carried away. Let's not be too precise about this, okay? If we just get rid of the big stuff, we'll be good. No. Negligence, as well as apostasy, does not qualify as true reformation. They didn't inquire. They didn't pray to God. They didn't go to his house to worship him. They didn't want to know his oracles. They neglected the duty that God required of them. But that's not as bad, is it? Yes. 
That's as bad. God then will not tolerate half devotion, mixtures in worship, human traditions in worship, religious gestures or words offered to creatures, apostasy, or neglect of the means of grace, lacking in zeal or diligence in seeking God. So then I exhort us all, let us seek God diligently. You might say, well, we're cleansed from the contagion of idolatry. We don't have shemarims. We don't have incense and images of Baal, do we? We don't have the false priests. We're not like the Romanists. We're not like the Eastern Orthodox who worship all these things like the ancient heathens did. But God says to cleanse yourself from everything that contaminates body and spirit and to perfect holiness in the fear of God. God is a precise God and he desires and demands that we obey precisely. Let us not rest content with a half-reformation on the outside, not on the inside, in this area, not in that area. No, God says, completely reform your ways. Josiah is a good king, held up for our example, but it's not enough just to live in his nation because now God says, wrath is coming because you didn't go far enough. You didn't take it home. You didn't take it inside. You merely took it on the outside. Josiah took it inside, but you didn't. You've not gone far enough. The remnants of Baal still swim around in your land. Josiah got rid of the Chimerims, but they're still there, aren't they? You haven't completely gotten rid of them. God then sets his judgment before them. He calls them to condemn themselves, to justify God, and to prepare themselves for the day of God's judgment. Now, it could be God would be merciful and spare them, but if not, they needed to be ready. Judgment was coming. God says, Hold thy peace, in verse 7, at the presence of the Lord God. Please open to Habakkuk, chapter 2, just the book before this, page 941, just one page back. Habakkuk, chapter 2, we'll read verses 18 through 20. The theme of silence as against idolatry is repeated here. Verse 18, what profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, awake, to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver. And there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. But you don't understand, Habakkuk. You don't understand, Lord. I don't really worship the stone. I don't really worship the image. I worship the true God. I've sworn to be his. Yeah, I might swear by a creature every now and again, but I am truly devoted to God. God says, shut up! I don't want your reasonings. I don't want you talking back. I want you to listen to my commandments. Your graven image teaches lies. It teaches you that you should offer worship to a creature. That's a lie. Paul says this in Romans 1. Change the truth of God for a lie, an image made like unto a man or a woman or a four-footed beast or a creeping thing. No, it's a lie. You can't worship the work of your own hands. It doesn't even talk, he says. What's it going to say to you? What's it going to teach you? Nothing. Your little picture going to talk back to you and instruct you in the fear of God? No. It doesn't even have breath inside of it. It's got paint on a canvas. That's all you got. You got a rock with some, maybe you got gold and silver on top of it. Who cares? It has no spirit inside of it. God says, be quiet. I am the true God exalted on high in my temple. Everyone shut up, he says. Me, you, all of us, be quiet. Listen to me. 
That's the Lord's instruction. And when he calls them in Zephaniah, he says, hold thy peace. You people who leave the remnants of Baal, you kept the Shemarims around. You swore to be my people, and yet you bow before the angels and the saints and the stars? Be quiet. Don't make reasons. Don't quibble with me. Don't use sophistries. Oh, well, you have pictures of your family, don't you? Well, sure, you should have pictures of Jesus. Don't you care more about Jesus than your family? And yet I see a picture of your mom on your wall. Sophistry. False reasoning. Do I offer incense to a picture of my mom? No. Do I bow my knee and give reverence of religion to my mom's picture? If I do, I'm an idiot. I'm a heathen. I'm a fool. God says, be quiet. Hold your peace. I'm going to judge you, so you need to hear what I'm saying. For the day of the Lord is at hand. You like your priests, huh? Well, I've got a sacrifice, he says. I'm setting up a sacrifice. I have guests who are coming. You know who they are. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the birds and fowls of the heaven. They're going to feed on your flesh. They're going to spoil your goods. You'll be the sacrifice, he says. You don't want to get rid of your priests of Baal. I've got judgment coming for you. Be quiet. Listen to me. Understand, he says, you will be judged. The day is coming. It is at hand. If we find ourselves being flippant with God, if we find ourselves forgetting his commandments, if in our thoughts we think ill of his providence, we speak flippantly of his word, we neglect his worship, We put a low priority upon his things. Contemplate his judgment, he says. Think about this. Hold your peace. And remember, my judgments are near. I have a sacrifice prepared. Judah will be slain and exposed. The wild beasts from Babylon and all the earth will partake in feasting on your destruction, he says. Remember this. And you people at the top of society, verse 8, I will punish the princes and the royal household, the king's children. You won't be exempt. You elites, you rulers. This is what men think. Well, the rules, they're for small people. Us big people, rules don't apply to us. We are the makers of rules. We may do as we please. No, that's not true. The Westminster Annotations, princes and peers, which think themselves exempt and out of reach and abuse their place and power, and instead of governing their inferiors, are ill examples unto them, and so do the most hurt. Okay, here you have the rulers, the princes, and the children of the king. They're going to be taken away. Why? Because their example is evil. They do not govern with righteousness and showing godliness, as Paul says about himself, providing no occasion for the ministry to be blamed. No, they don't do that. The annotations go on. For magnates are magnets. They shall not go unpunished. The great ones draw others like a magnet draws steel. And so therefore the great ones must show a godly example to draw those under their authority in the right way. But did they do that? No. This is an incomplete reformation. Josiah and some of his, but not them all. Let us then who are in authority, whether pastor or father or husband or mother or magistrate, or any other kind of superior, strive not merely to chasten your inferiors, but chasten yourself. Discipline yourself unto godliness. Yes, you are a magnate. You are a great one, but you are also a magnet. You will draw others toward heaven or toward hell. Which will it be? Let it not be the latter. Who else gets taken away? Those who are clothed with strange apparel, he says, 
the clothes of foreigners, those things that don't belong to your people, to your nation, not suited to your customs. Did you know that the fifth commandment requires that we honor our nation for all its faults and sins? God requires that we honor our nation and its customs in matters indifferent. If they tell us to sin or worship God in a false way, we say no. They tell us we can murder our child. No, we're not going to listen to that. But if they have indifferent customs, God requires that we respect that, that we show honor to that. And when people have newfangled garb from foreign nations, he doesn't have nice things to say about it. Generally, it's condemned. When it's mentioned at all, it is only for condemnation. You people clothed with strange apparel. You don't respect your nation. You don't honor your father and your mother or your ancestors. You follow after newfangledness and pride, and therefore you will be judged as well. God requires that we be humble, that we be not prideful and lifted up and seek to make ourselves distinct in some foolish way. Verse 9, he says, there are more that he will punish In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Oh, you taxmen, you bureaucrats, these who come and say, gimme, 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 I want more and I got guns if you don't obey. I got a prison cell with your name on it, so pay up. That's the idea here. The false accusation of deceit. The taking of more than is appointed. The Geneva notes say concerning those that leap on the threshold, the servants of the rulers who invade other men's houses and rejoice and leap for joy when they can get any gain to please their master with. This is the obsequious servant, the bureaucrat who ruins the business of another in order to please his wicked master's who arrests the pro-life workers in Tennessee, the FBI agents who go, that's these people. They're condemned in these words. You desire to have violence and deceit to please your master. You're happy to do it. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to repent. You ought to stop that wickedness and lawlessness, as John told the soldiers. Be content with your wages. Why? because they could falsely accuse people and extort money out of them. I'm going to take you before the magistrate if you don't pay up. No, be content with your wages. Do not accuse any man falsely, John said. Same thing here. You leap on the thresholds. You're happy to fill your master's houses with violence and deceit. There was an incomplete reformation in the days of Josiah. Ah, but the judgment will come. Noise from the fish gate, this face west, where the fish would be brought into Jerusalem. Then the second gate to the north. Some people think the university or the college was there. Every part of Jerusalem, the hills around Jerusalem, the hills of Jerusalem itself, screaming, crying. People would be in sorrow and agony and suffering. They would be howling. They would not escape. All sorts of men... All sorts of beasts in every single place. The judgment is coming. Even the inhabitants of Maktesh. Verse 11 tells us this is a hollow place. Also used of a mortar. You know, have a hollow mortar and they would go in with a pestle and they would grind up that sort of thing. There were places around Jerusalem that were like big hollow places. Some people think it's a market street where all the merchants were selling their wares. It's consistent. Verse 11, all the merchant people are cut down. This is an insult to the Jews. The word Canaanite means a merchant person. Now he's calling them Canaanites. All you merchants, all you Canaanites, I'm going to cut you down. Howl, you people who have spices and goods for sale, you rich people in Jerusalem, you won't be able to escape. All you merchants, you Canaanites, you're no better than the Canaanites. You're not to be regarded. All you that bear silver are cut off. My ducats, 
All you wealthy bankers who lend money to others, all you money changers at the temple who get rich off of the people who come to worship, you're going to be cut down too. You wealthy men, you bankers, all sorts of people, you princes, you newfangled dressers, all you people are coming in for judgment. Why? Because you did not go far enough in the Reformation. God says he'll search as with candles, like it was dark and he couldn't see, speaking after the manner of men. I'll come in and I'll see everything, he says. Every secret thing that you think no one else sees, God sees. I will search Jerusalem with candles. He will punish, he says, the men that are settled on their lees. If you've ever seen a bottle of wine with sediment down at the bottom, those are the lees. All the things that settle down to the bottom, and then they're kind of immovable. You get everything off of the top of the wine, you get to the bottom, you don't want to drink it. Generally, it tastes pretty bad. It's well-aged, so the wine is good, but all that sediment went down to the bottom. You're like that, he says. You're all settled down. You're like sediment. You're content with this partial reformation. You don't want to go further and stir things up. You don't want to completely abandon the worship of creatures, the devices of men, the traditions of your fathers, your own indifference to reformation and going forward in holiness. You like your oppressive taxation. You neglect the means of grace. You haven't gone far enough and you're content and settled down in that position. Let us not settle on our lees. Let us not settle for the fine-aged, settled-down religion that does not seek greater advancement in holiness and in truth, further conforming ourselves, our families, our churches, our homeland to God's standards in scriptures. No, we've got this right. We don't need to get that right. Don't get carried away. Don't be a fanatic. Don't go too far. This is the word of those who are being judged, of those who are settled down on their lees. And notice, not only are they sluggish and settled, they are blasphemous, not with their tongues, but in their hearts. Verse 12, they say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. This is their inward thought. Their indifference their imprecision in Reformation manifests this. They're not saying this out loud. But do you think that tricks God because you don't say it out loud? No. God hears the thought of the heart. And the thought of the heart is that God will not actually punish us. He can't bless us. He can't curse us. He can't do good. He can't do evil. So why get so worked up about this stuff, Josiah? Why think that we should all be as zealous as you, Mr. Zeal for Reformation? You're so precise. Why should I be that way? There's no judgment coming. But notice, the very people who blaspheme God in their hearts in this way, the things that they're living for, their goods, their houses, what's going to happen to those things? Taken away. Therefore, because of their blasphemy and atheism, therefore their goods shall become a booty and their houses a desolation. Your goods are spoiled. Your house, everybody's taken as a slave or killed. Sound good? They shall build houses but not inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards but not drink the wine thereof. How frustrating is that? You went to all that work to get those vines in, to get them up off the ground, to keep them so they wouldn't just keep on falling over. And then you built this house, you laid the foundation, you built the walls, you built a roof. All this work for what? For somebody else to have it. Frustrating. Well, wait a second. Where have they heard that? I know I've heard that somewhere. Where did I hear that? Oh, yeah. Remember when Josiah read to you from the book of Deuteronomy? Remember when he stood there and you swore to be the people of God? He told you, if you don't do everything I say... You'll build a house and you won't inhabit it. You'll plant a vineyard and someone else will drink of that wine. Deuteronomy 28. 
verses 30 and 39, if we are unrepentant, if we are self-satisfied, if we are a mongrel, half-reformed people, God says, I will still judge you. You will not be off the hook. The great day of the Lord is near, is near, and hasteth greatly, verse 14 says. They put it off. Ah, it's never coming. Not going to happen. Our earthly concerns are more important. We're content with our lot. We don't need to go further in this reformation. But God says, be ready. I will come and I will judge and be prepared for when I come. It's near, it hasteth, and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be flowers and roses and kittens and chocolate. No, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now remember, this alludes to what? Eternal punishment. Outer darkness. Remember the damned are called the Rephaim, those shades, those people who aren't really living anymore but are under chains of darkness. That's what that day is going to be like. Don't put it off. Don't forget it. Flee from this wrath. Make peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lay aside the kingship of Molech, the traditions of Baal, the inventions of your fathers, the praying to creatures and angels and trusting in the arm of the flesh. Judgment day comes. Sue for peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship God according to his holy word. See a thoroughgoing reformation in your life according to his word in all aspects of your life. He says, verse 16, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities. There's our civil defense. We've got big walls in our city. Nobody's getting in here. You don't understand. These cities have fences up to heaven. Who's going to come up against? We're on the top of a hill. Nobody can come against us. Yes, they can. And God will cause a trumpet to be blown. Does that sound familiar? The trump of God. God's going to warn you. The angels will come. The sun will come in judgment. This prefigures for us the very last day. Calls us to the courts of the king. Come now. Meet your maker. Answer for your deeds, whether they be good or evil. And will they be able to see in that day? No. Verse 17, they shall walk like blind men. Again, this is from Deuteronomy 28, 29. They're cursed in outer darkness as the shades, as ghosts, as damned men. They're cast out, he says. That day's coming. What about them? Their lives will be worthless. Verse 17, their blood shall be poured out as dust. What is dust? Does it have a lot of value? No. Does blood have value? Well, it certainly does. Try living for a few minutes without blood. What do you think will happen? It's the very thing that keeps you alive. He says, the thing that keeps you alive, I'm going to treat it like a worthless pile of dust. You will be accounted as, as of nothing. Your body, which God made for, as a habitation for himself by the Spirit of God, where God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living soul, that body of yours is going to be like poop, dung, coming out of the backside of a cow onto the soil so that it improves the soil. That's what your body's going to be like. Can you imagine that? How worthless you must be to be treated like refuse, like dung, and your blood having no value, being like dust. You will be, he says, like feed for the beasts of the earth and the fowls of the heaven. They'll come and feed on your flesh. You turned the order of creation upside down by worshiping and serving the creature. I'm going to take the glory of your body and make it defiled. Same as Romans 1. What does God do to those who invert the order of nature? Well, he inverts their natural desire. 
He takes the honor away from their body and makes them worthless pieces of trash. Do we want our bodies to be dishonored? Do we want our blood to be accounted as dust? He says, then you need to repent. You need to stop living this half-reformed life merely on the outside, not on the inside, merely in one place, not in all places. And you bring your silver and your gold, and he says, I don't want it. It's not going to pay. That's not a sufficient ransom for your sins. Please open to Proverbs 11, verse 4. Proverbs 11, 4, page 676, 676 of your pew Bibles. We think very highly of gold and silver. It's real money, isn't it? We need to be back on the gold standard. Well, yes, that's true. But gold and silver will not save us. Proverbs 11, verse 4. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but what? Righteousness delivereth from death. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1, page 1222, verses 15 through 19. This suits so well with Zephaniah, chapter 1, starting at verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy... For I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here's the remedy. Here's the solution to the whole problem. You must come to God by Jesus Christ, turn from your sins, receive him as your great high priest, as the sacrifice for your sins. Be cleansed, not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then what? Be ye holy, he says, as I am holy. Be ye jealous over my worship, he says, as I am jealous over my worship. Do not seek deliverance by creatures, yourself or others. Your gold, your silver, your works, your thoughts, your feelings. Seek deliverance through the precious blood of Christ. And therefore, having been delivered by his grace, be ye holy as God is holy. How far then should you be reformed in your life according to his word? Just a little bit? Just enough to get by? Just enough to deceive the King Josiah? No, he says, as I am holy, as I am devoted to my glory, so be ye devoted to my glory. Give yourselves completely to me through the greater son of David, greater than Josiah, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.